Before we get into the podcast, please excuse the poor audio quality. I was experimenting, and I'm sorry. Hope you enjoy the podcast. So how about a podcast, huh? All right. Let's do it. Welcome to the Practically Theologians podcast, where we attempt to expose the practical ramifications of our theology. And that was a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is Josh, and I'm joined today through the interwebs and via phone by Ferris and John, as we record from Washington State, South Dakota, and Minnesota, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, And today, we will be discussing family worship, and hopefully, it benefits you as much as it benefits, it will benefit, I'm sure it will benefit me, Uh, I hope it benefits these guys, too. Um, But if you'd like to email us, you can at podcast at practicallytheologians.org, and we'd love to get your comments or even some ideas for future podcasts, um, and just to hear from you. So today's topic, family worship, kind of came up as I was, uh, Ferris gave me a call, oh, I don't know what day it was, about a week ago or so, Sunday? But, um, yeah, it was Sunday. He brought up something, uh, sounds like, John, you are... You are doing something for your church in regards to family worship. You want to just briefly kind of give us an overview of what you're doing? Sure. So what we're doing right now um, is I just finished up doing a family worship video series for our church. And it was a video series um, specifically because of the context right now with COVID-19. Since none of us are able to gather together, we thought it as a church leadership team that it would be best for us to really dig into how to teach our families and our members and those that are just within our influence about the idea of worshiping at home in general. Um, A lot of us right now are working through the technical difficulties of trying to record our Sunday evenings, um, wrestling with the new um, waters of learning that come with that. It's a rather steep learning curve for many of us. And I know Speaking with many, they've, they've experienced quite a bit of frustration and, and challenge trying to do that with the uh, with just the need all of a sudden. Within a week or two, all of a sudden, we are now from meeting together to having to do virtual meetings to um, worshiping at home or watching videos or audio sermons. And uh, so what we wanted to do is really help people develop the idea of what, what is family worship or what, are you, what is that like in the home? And so I did a four-week series kind of discussing some of the basic ideas about family worship, um, just some of the very, very basic elements, uh, and kept it really simple for people. It's just a simple time to gather together to read God's Word, to study it, to pray, and to sing. And that was really the basis for all four weeks' messages, with just slight caveats, like what does that look like with young kids? What does that look like for you as a couple? Um, There was a special call to fathers with one of the vlogs as well just to really encourage them to uh, think about this and integrating this into their families. Um, maybe there's family's purpose or their vision uh, as the leader of their homes. 
And uh, that's kind of what we did just to really help people in this time. Um, people are home with their kids in a lot more uh, ways than they were in the past. Now that kids aren't even at school here in Minnesota uh, or in Washington or most other states right now, uh, they're just with their kids a lot and um, they need the encouragement. It's been hard for a lot of families. And uh, so we wanted to provide as much help as we could for them. So a teaching on family worship felt, felt like it fit right into the context. Yeah, it seems like a perfect time for someone to begin to set a pattern in their home at a time when so many families are not allowed to go do their sporting activities that once took up the whole week with practices and active after school activities and such. Um, that's a great idea. So as we go through this podcast, I just thought I'd get... <clears throat> From Ferris and John, and I can I'll I'll add I'll, I'll add things too as we go along. But um, first of all, hey John, can you tell people where to find that series if they'd like to look it up, or if you're too embarrassed, that's okay. <laughs> oh no, that's great. Thanks for asking. They can go to harvestmn.com. That's our church's website. You'll be able to just scroll down and see it there. You can also find it on YouTube if you search Harvest. Oh, gee, it might be Harvest MN or Harvest Church, Minnesota. There's a lot of Harvest Churches out there. The website uh, might be the best way. The videos are posted on YouTube, though. So HarvestMN.com okay. will get you there for sure. Okay. I'll do my best to look it up and maybe put it in the show notes. <laughs> All right. So as we go through this, Ferris and John... Uh, maybe we'll start with Ferris. Um, it's hard to do over the phone. It's much easier to be able to see you guys because then I can tell who wants to talk. But, hey, now I'm the dictator. So if you want to talk, <laughs> just raise your hand. <laughs> oh, you're a so, benevolent uh, hey, dictator, Josh. <laughs> just want you to know. Benevolent. Right, yes. right, right. <laughs> so first of all, hey, why don't you start this off, Ferris, and John, you can add to it. What is family worship in your understanding? Um, I think family worship we could just see as the family gathering together to worship the one true God. Um, and uh, you know we could talk about the definition in terms of what it should look like, or you know we could just talk about the terms uh, in terms of of, um, of its purpose and. Uh, the the first question in the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And uh, truly, um, you know, that's what, you know, the purpose of all things ought to be, and that is the purpose of worship, that we might uh, first understand uh, who God is, um, what he says about himself, and um, and secondly, to extol him for for those things. To say, wow, isn't isn't our God a good God who made this beautiful world filled with all these wonderful things like sunshine and trees and birds? Um, and isn't our God a good God to save sinners like us uh, and to... Uh, to gather together as a family to to really celebrate and and proclaim 
those things, discover and proclaim those things about God together. Um, and, and to recognize that what we are doing when we do that with our families is something that we will be taking part of, not only now, but in eternity, to continue to discover God's greatness and to take joy in that and to extol him for it. Thanks. Yeah, I really like that definition, Ferris, especially thinking about it on the kingdom side of things and in eternity. There's a lot of value to be considered there um, in the midst of all the things we're doing in life. Um, what what are the kingdom values associated with these things? Or what, is this, what does this look like in God's eternal plan? And the idea of worship um, percolating every aspect of our life is really important in my mind. Um, and you see that in scriptures too. And I think we'll get there in just a moment to kind of discuss some of the scriptural basis for family worship. Uh, but thinking about um, what, what do we really value? What's really important to us as people, uh, as fathers, as mothers? Um, what, if, if we're really interested in worshiping God, if we're really interested in following him as his people, um, worship should happen wherever we go, in a sense. And so, of course, we should be doing that in our homes. Um, to not be doing it there seems rather um, hypocritical, in a sense, if we're only doing that at our, um, maybe at a Sunday gathering, but we won't we won't teach our children those things, or it's not a natural outflowing of the love that we have for God in our homes. Um, so, yeah, there's there's just a lot of beauty and goodness that comes from, from having that sort of joy um, in your home. So that really answer your yeah. questions, Josh, or what is family worship? Yeah, and I'm, we're going to get in more into detail as far as the particulars, but yeah, that's great. Thanks, mm-hmm. guys. Uh, sure, I yeah. don't need to add anything to that. I, I really do like, though, um, that connection to heavenly worship. I think even as we worship with our churches every week, I think uh, that it, that is truly entering into the heavenly worship with the angels and with those who are in heaven worshiping around the throne as we worship with the saints on earth we're entering into that heavenly worship but um, family worship too connects to that and it kind of um, it's kind of like the constant it's going to be the thing it's going to be something that all of God's redeemed will do forever Unlike, say, maybe, I don't know, playing baseball or, uh, or um, mowing the lawn. That, those are things that, <clears throat> that possibly will end once this world passes away. But, but worshiping around God's throne will, will be something that, that's something that will never leave us. That's something that is part of who we are, worshiping creatures. So I really like that connection. Absolutely. So as we... As we discuss this, so uh, one one of the questions I had was, okay, family worship, and you guys mentioned some, maybe both of you, or maybe one of you, um, how, of course, as 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 God's creatures, we ought to be worshiping always, um, but in particular, as we worship with our family, may I ask this first of all, just or maybe, uh, what is a family? When you say family worship, what do you mean by that? Maybe maybe people are wondering that. I don't know. They're not wondering yet. I haven't released the podcast. 
But just to clear that up. Hmm. How about you, John? What, who would you say the family in family worship would be? I would say the family is those that you're with directly. Um, and that, uh, the idea of family does look differently to different homes, to different mothers and fathers. Um, you know, some people don't have kids. And so does that mean they're not able to do family worship? And of course, the answer is no, that's not the case. So family and the idea of family worship really is the idea of worshiping to God together in the home with those that you are taking care of spiritually and physically um, or, or maybe even uh, maybe more broadly speaking, thinking about if you're a single or you're a, um, uh, you know, in a context like maybe you're a college student. So what does worship look like for you with others in your dorm room? And so in that regard, the idea of family worship is the gathering of people uh, in whatever place they are to worship God together. Yeah. Yeah, I think what, where I was going with that is I think some people might get uh, might have the impression that family worship is only something you do when you have kids or something. So yeah. what do you think about that, Ferris? Yeah, I mean, Jeanette and I recently had our first child. Uh, each of us are 30 years old. And our little girl, Ruth, I'm holding, she's asleep on my chest right now. Um, she she can't talk yet or anything. Uh, I really don't know that you could say she worships along with us, but for the eight years that Jeanette and I have been married, I would say we have participated in family worship together. And uh, in our family has just been the two of us for for all those years, other than uh, there was one occasion where we, we took on um, a, uh, a boy from Ukraine uh, to take care of for, for a number of weeks. But, um, yeah, family worship for us has just been two for the most part uh, until just recently. Yeah. There is a bit of a different oh. um, flavor to it once you have kids that are old enough to participate in it um, in that you're also doing a lot of instruction and training alongside of it. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some sort of some unique blessings that come with being able to do that with kids. Uh, but at the same time, if I remember back when patients and I were, were uh, newly wed and we didn't have kids, you, you really do have more time. You also have more um, energy and flexibility with how you're doing things as a couple and so it really does look a little bit differently whether or not you have kids involved in the circumstances. And some of the uh, the ways you do it do shift, certainly, once you have kids in the picture. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, so where, where do we get this idea of family worship from Scripture? And I, I kind of, I just, I had a list of Scriptures where it's the, they're the kind of the typical places you would go to look at this. Um, but did you guys... You can either look at my list and agree with it or have your, do you have your own places that you would go or do you have your own patterns that you would refer to to show that this is something, uh, I don't know that I would go so far as to say we, we should do it. I guess, are there places in scripture that show how we ought to or why we ought to or when we ought to? You know, I, I think about the Westminster talking about um, how thing, how we can think of, of of the scripture commanding us 
and uh, it's it's not just the things that are stated directly. Uh, if I were if I were to look for a, a direct statement that says you must uh, have a time of family worship every day, and you know, and to look for some statement like that in the scriptures, I don't think I can find one. But uh, we don't just look to what is directly stated, but we we look to what can be inferred. And, um, you know, it just seems like if you go back to the very beginning, if Adam and Eve were to worship God at all, they would worship him in family. Um, And that information had to pass from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel somehow. And we see Cain and Abel making sacrifices. So, you know, really the first church was a family. And when we see um, in the New Testament, or not in the New Testament, when we see uh, the children of Israel coming out in the Exodus, uh, that they are told to teach these things to their children. Um, And uh, Joshua says, when they enter the promised land, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That word serve can also be translated worship. Um, and, and then in the New Testament, uh, we're told to bring our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Uh, that is, I believe, in in um, 1 Timothy. I could be wrong about that one. In 2 Timothy, the, the famous passage about all Scripture being God-breathed, is God-breathed and useful for correction, for proof. Right before that, it says, um, Paul is uh, talking about uh, um, Timothy's grandmother and mother and how their faith has been passed on to him. And he makes a statement how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. And then it goes on to say, all Scriptures God-breathed and useful for correcting, teaching, reproof, uh, that the man of God may be fully equipped. And I really think you just see a pattern and... Um, you know, it's just kind of uh, like an, an obvious obligation for for parents who believe that God is the one true God and are called to teach their children these things. And the fact that our God is worthy of worship and he commands worship, that we would want to do these things together. Um, I don't think we're, we need to necessarily require a black and white official statement that every morning at 9 a.m. or you know, every morning at 6 a.m., you're supposed to get up and, and, and go through this specific routine. You know, it, it's just something that we ought to desire to do, seeing who our God is and what else he has required of us. Yeah. John, did you have anything to add to that? Maybe just a few other verses. Um Maybe just a pattern that we see within the New Testament, maybe a, a hermeneutical principle that I think might be helpful. But yeah, um, thanks, Ferris, for that, especially walking us through the Old Testament context of it within Deuteronomy. Um, it really sets the stage thinking about how, um, I mean, these these people were called from Egypt to worship God. You know, I am the Lord, your God. And that is, you know, kind of the basis and principle for serving him and worshiping him. But thinking, thinking ahead, I, w- one thing that I have noticed is, um, and this can be a tendency that you'll find, is when, when we read or interpret the scriptures, sometimes we do it with an individual um, 
type of mentality, like this is for me. Uh, I mean, that's true. Uh, but it's helpful to remember that the scriptures in general were written to groups of people, uh, to churches, especially the New Testament. They're almost all, all of them are letters to churches. And so, thinking about the context broadly about the teaching in the New Testament, it's to the people gathered together. And to assume that this instruction that we're given in the New Testament as a whole is only for Sunday mornings or Sunday at 10 o'clock um, is, a, is far from from the reality of what the teaching of scripture calls us to do. Um, and so thinking about, um, for example, like uh, I believe you mentioned Ephesians earlier, Josh, um, and it kind of talks about the consistency in a Christian's life that we're called to walk in. Um, uh, I believe it's 515 says, pay careful attention. Let me pull it up. Yeah. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It goes on to say, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always. I think that's helpful phrase there, always, for everything to God the Father. In First Thessalonians, there's a similar kind of uh, poetic uh, stanza uh, that says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so we see this sort of constancy regarding worship to God and praise and thankfulness to him that should certainly go beyond our, our gatherings on Sunday mornings. And uh, I mean, that only makes sense then that we should be considering how can we worship? How can we demonstrate thankfulness all the time to him? And so family worship, in a sense, is just a natural um, outflowing of our love for Christ and our thankfulness for him. Yeah, and if you want to get in, well, let me just throw this out here. It's interesting you you said Ephesians. Um, you brought up Ephesians five, and um, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The implication there is that you are doing this in the context of a community, and then it goes into how the husbands. Um, ought to love the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, um, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And then it goes into children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. And Ferris, this is where you were, what you were referring to, um, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's Ephesians. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Which harkens back to Deuteronomy 6, that I think that's a section that <clears throat> many people refer to in terms of the, the scriptural command to disciple your family, where it talks about basically in everything you do at all, at, in the morning, in the evening, um, whatever you're doing, teach your children about these things that God has done and about this covenant that he has made with you. So, yeah. But it's interesting. It is done in the context of a community. It's not individual. So yeah, John. That I guess I'm just saying that to agree with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not to say you shouldn't study your Bible individually, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I think sanctification occurs uh, in community with other people. So in the church, in the family, God uses people to to um, 
expose your sinfulness and then you ask for forgiveness and he grows you that way and he grows others by your being a part of a body. And that's, that's pretty key to the Christian life. By the way, it's one of the things I really dislike about this whole lock-in thing. Um, <laughs> the, we can't see anybody. We can't take communion. We can't sing with the saints. We can't uh, shake hands with one another. Not, no kisses around here, but... So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, that's all I got on there for now. You got any other scriptural references or places or patterns that you'd refer to or... Should we kind of talk about the components now? Yeah, that's all I had for the scripture portion. Yeah, I'd be interested in talking about the components. All right. Well, well, John, let's go with John first this time. You mentioned already three components uh, earlier. You you talked about prayer. uh, You talked about instruction or reading or I'm you know, teaching or whatever with the scriptures. And then, so the scriptures, prayer, and then you mentioned singing. Um, would you like to elaborate on that at all or add anything to that or explain how sure. you came to those three? I, I guess I came to those three because those are the normal things that we see wherever we look in the scriptures regarding what is worship. Um, we see singing or praising him. We see um, the reading of his word, and then we see prayer. And uh, those are the, really the basic commands we're given in Scripture. And some of those verses I just mentioned really demonstrate that idea of praying without ceasing, giving thanks to the Lord, praising him um, constantly. And so um, that's really where we get those ideas from. It's just what you see in the Psalms, too. And uh, it's it's a, not a complicated formula. And I think that's helpful to remember, especially for those that haven't done family worship before. Uh, It can be maybe a little intimidating thinking about um, what it is or what it could be. Uh, But really, all we're doing is getting together. We're reading the Bible. We're considering it and praying together over what what we've read, but also just the concerns of our day. And then we're singing together. And that one might be the most uncomfortable for a lot of people because there are a lot of people like myself that aren't very musically inclined. And so singing can be... um, really vulnerable, maybe, is a word for it. Um, but it can be really a great blessing to to a couple or to a family as a whole uh, to sing together. And it, it is something that uh, as you practice and as you do together, you might not necessarily get better at singing, but that's not the point anyway. The point is that we're, we're just demonstrating our thankfulness through prayer and through that praise to him. So that's really when I, when I think of the elements of what is worship as 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 a whole, not necessarily family worship, but what is worship? Those are the things that really stand out to me. Do you have anything to add to that, Ferris? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, really what we have uh, as far as elements of worship, you know, are uh, the word and uh, prayer. Um, you could put word prayer and sacrament in there, but you could think of the sacraments as the word made visible or the word made edible you might say it's it's the gospel in a in a meal um yeah and that's not something that we participate in at home uh, we just don't see an example of that in the scripture but uh, i think um you know particularly uh 
you know, I mean, if we are, if we're going to prepare our hearts for Sunday, I think John had talked about this earlier, like if, um, if worship is just a Sunday thing, it can get to be kind of hypocritical. Um, but if we're going to, to bring our hearts before the Lord on Sunday and make the effort of, of worshiping him, then if, if we are sincere about that, then wouldn't that naturally mean that we would want to do these things during the week, you know, um, and so to be able to, uh, to both sing and to read the scripture and to pray together, you know, and singing is, is really, a, you could say prayer put to music. Um, but yeah, I, I would recommend all three, you know, praying, reading and singing. Um, and it doesn't have to be super long either. Right. Yeah. And we'll get into that later too. Maybe the length of it. Um, mm-hmm. cause I, I would probably tend to say you should try to keep it as short as possible if you have kids <laughs> so that they don't become, <laughs> uh, exasperated with it <laughs> yeah. or you don't become exasperated with them. <laughs> um, yeah. but uh, how about We'll move into the next section, and in that next section, we'll talk about this. Um, how often? How often should we do public worship? Is there a hard and fast rule? Is there a general principle? Um, whoever talks first can answer that one. Family worship. What's that for? Family worship. Yeah. Family worship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't really see why you wouldn't want to worship God every day. Uh, um, sometimes uh, unforeseen circumstances might uh, get in the way of that or, or you know, if it, like, um, you know, we are, we, we just got a, you know, we took Ruth home from the hospital. Uh, she was born in January. We took her home about a month ago. She was born 10 weeks premature and uh getting you know it's our first child and adjusting to sleeping schedules and having to stay up and you know we're trying to get feeding and stuff figured out so things are kind of difficult around here we we try to get uh, i think our goal eventually is is to have a short time of family worship at every meal um you know and uh, just to just to make uh make family worship kind of the conversation that event you know comes in at the end of the meal um but at the present time we we try to carve out some space during the day when we're both uh full of energy that we can consider the word of god together um you know um so i mean i i really think it's my it's our joy really to to participate in a daily yeah. Uh, how about you, John? Yeah, kind of the way I like to think about um, how often we should do it is maybe under the framework of as as families trying to create spiritual rhythms for our for our families, um, rhythms or patterns or traditions. You could you could probably use any of those words to describe what I'm trying to mean here, uh, but. But setting our days intentionally apart and structuring them in a way that worship is is a normal aspect of of, of the day, and um, 
And I think it's helpful to think about it in that way, because once you start talking about the schedule, everybody's schedule looks differently. Um, I remember working shift work, you know, I'm working six to six in the, you know, from morning, six in the morning to six in the evening. And when are you going to be home? You know, so it's important to consider the practical, um, especially when you have kids in the home, because um, that exasperation can happen quickly. If, um, if you're trying to force things to happen, maybe earlier than they ought to, or later than they should, especially with kids around. Um, but the, the idea of doing it daily or creating these patterns daily is really important, I think. Um, maybe you have one set apart day a week that's a bit longer. If, if your schedule is pretty demanding of you at work, um, or maybe you can do it a little more often if, if your schedule is more open or if you're able to be home. Kind of the basic pattern we do uh, is we do it in the morning because that has worked well for us in our schedule. And uh, usually I've only had to be to work by about eight o'clock or so in the morning. And so there's time for us to get up and we'll read and we'll pray and we'll sing right after breakfast together. And then in the evening, we'll also do a few things, especially in preparation for bedtime. But, but those are some of the re- just kind of those repetitious patterns that we do as a family. And so thinking about your circumstances is really important, I think, in creating those. And so for a lot of people, I imagine after supper is going to be that time. Um, and maybe maybe just for dads in speci- specific, that time when you get home after work from, let's say, 6 to 7 or 8 o'clock is just so important for you to be fully engaged with your family, uh, whatever that looks like. And, uh, you know, including worship all together with your family at that time. Um, that's that's kind of what I would encourage people to consider. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, so, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Um, okay, how about you say what you're going to say, and then I'll see if it was what I was going to say. <laughs> well, I was just uh, going to follow up on that idea of doing things daily and at mealtimes, perhaps, with with the question, should we have a set time? Is that beneficial to have a set time every day? I um, I would say yes. Go ahead, Nurse. Um, I I would say yes, just because you can you can always fudge on a set time, um, but if there's not a set time, then you can you know you can end up missing it. You know we're we're always going to fall we're often going to fall short of a bar. Um, you know obviously if something happens you you can move it to another time but it setting a time just shows that you are making this a priority in in your home you're making the worship of god a priority um i know joel Beakey, who's very good to read and uh to uh, uh watch on youtube regarding family worship um you know they would they would have at the same time every night and uh you know, they just made that a consistent uh, part of of their their life together. Um, and I think, uh, particularly with small children, uh, to grow up with that rhythm, like uh, John was talking about, um, that they know at this time, you know, we are we're going to gather together as a family, and uh, we're going to worship together. So, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's going to be harder to miss if you have it scheduled at the same time every day. 
Yeah. Anything to add to that, John? There's two things that I have noticed that uh, the powers of evil or the devil seem to be particularly interested in and uh, in my family. It's distracting me from doing family worship together um, through busyness or schedule conflicts and trying to impede one-on-one time with, with my wife. Um, those are two consistent things that I have recognized I need to fight for in a sense within my family um, because it's maybe, maybe it's our culture. Maybe it's a universal truth that those, this, these busyness um, uh, there's, there's so many things that we can always be doing. There's always more work to be done, especially if you're trying to provide um, or if you're doing, if you're your own business owner and you have, um, clients that are waiting on the end of the phone as soon as the you know the sun comes up, and so I, I really agree with what Ferris was saying regarding setting a time because that makes it a priority, um, but also being a little bit flexible. Uh, but you really do have to fight to make these things happen in your life. Um, I mean, and it only makes sense um, if if uh, if we're worshiping God, the Holy Spirit is present there with us, as it tells us in Matthew. Um, and so I just. I just really think it's really valuable to to really consider about making it a high priority. And if scheduling helps, then that would definitely be something we should do. Yeah, thanks. That's, I think that's helpful. Um, what? So, in some ways, I kind of want to talk about what we personally do. Um, and a lot of the rest of these questions I had, but. I guess I'll lead off just talking about kind of what we try to do. <laughs> try is the key word there. And we have six kids. The youngest is two and the oldest is uh, north of two somewhere. 13, I think. <laughs> ask me Ask me tomorrow and I might remember. But um, it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, if you don't have a, a particular time to gather everybody together at the same time when maybe they're outside playing or they're off doing all sorts of different things. So we found it to be helpful to do it right after dinner or right at the youngest bedtime. So those two things are kind of our two go-to times. Uh, is that you guys, it sounds like you guys kind of do it around a meal time. Is that correct? Yeah. We yeah, uh, another. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we've uh, we've tried to keep it around meals. Um, just it uh, it seems to be you're you're already taking a break from what you're doing at that time, and uh, it just seems to make the most sense logically. Um, uh, what what we've done in the past is, uh, you know, I'm a little faster eater than my wife, and uh, usually I will. I will pick up the the uh, Bible, and uh, we will we will start family worship uh, right towards the end of the meal, and my wife will still be eating at that time, and then we will close in prayer and a song. Mm-hmm. How about you, John? Yeah, especially with kids, if if you can catch them before they run off and start getting into the next activity or whatever they're interested into while they're still in there, especially when you got little ones when they're still in the high chairs. I mean, that's a, that's a great time to catch them between 
um, transitions because, um, as you well know, the more kids you have, uh, just wrangling them together can be a challenge, um, especially when you've got a large age gap. I'm sure, like you know, Josh, we, only, we just have three kids. So we have Ezra, who's five, Faith, who's two, and Zoe, who's just seven months old or so now. Um, so we have two of those in high chairs, and Ezra's just sitting on a stool or in his chair. And so we already have them all gathered together. And so that's a practical way to do it. Well, there you go. There's the biggest helpful hint of the podcast. Just keep getting larger and larger high chairs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, uh, so John, or Ferris. Well, John, we'll go with John this time. Uh, what's your, what's, do you have any recommendations for participation in terms of, like, do different people read at different times? I know your your kids and Ferris, your your kid may not be reading yet, but maybe if they're smarter than my kids were at that age. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of like, say, praying, singing, reading, do you guys have any thoughts on participation and how how to encourage participation by the kids and how to get them interested in family worship, or even? And, you know, if, if your wife's reading and you're listening or if you're reading and your wife's listening, how to help each other stay engaged and participate. John, do you have any hints sure. first? And then we can, we can go to Ferris. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, maybe I'll just explain what our typical uh, morning worship looks like. We'll eat, we'll eat breakfast and we'll go sit on the couch. Or in this case, where we're living now, we have two recliner chairs. And so we'll go sit there and then... We will read, we will pray, and we'll sing. Um, and sometimes we'll flip-flop the order between praying and singing, but we always read first. And what we do with reading is, it's usually me. Sometimes patients will read, depending on the circumstances and how things are going with the kids. Um, but we'll read a short section of scripture, maybe maybe five to ten verses, typically one, one section. So wherever the Bible has divided it for you, that's all we typically do is one section. And... Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll we'll pray and we'll ask the kids what they want to pray for. And so, for example, Faith has been praying for baby Ruth every day. Um, Ferris and Danette's daughter, um, since I don't I don't even remember when, several months, probably since Colorado, before we left Colorado even. And so she always prays for baby Ruth. And then uh, Ezra will pray for for grandma or for grandpa or his friends or for school. Well, not school anymore, unfortunately. Um but you know, things like that. And so to engage them, we ask them questions about, about what they'd like to pray for. Uh, even in the reading, I'll ask them basic questions about what we've read. Uh, we, we typically go through the Gospels really frequently with our kids. Um, so I'll ask questions like, okay, well, where did Jesus go? What did he do? Or, um, you know, who's seen this? Or, you know, just basic like plot type questions to ask them about. Um, and at their their age, that's a that's great just to see if they're actually listening or not or understanding. And then we'll sing. And when we sing, we just have Trinity hymnal because we're not any uh, smarter to actually sing without one or or uh, or or make make music on the piano or a guitar or anything. So we just sing. Um, if you're well, you know that, inclined, that hymnal is inspired. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not the blue one. According to some, I think that's the right one. Oh yes, I forgot. <laughs> we have the red one um but anyway is uh and that's what we'll do the we're kids have their favorite songs yeah <laughs> so we'll ask the kids what songs they want to sing too and so we don't 
we don't set any hedges on that. Um, so we'll we'll often be singing mm-hmm. Christmas songs in July. But if that's what they want to sing, Ezra loves O Come Emmanuel. So we'll sing that one a lot. Um, Jesus Shall Reign is another family favorite. And so we just we just sing a lot of the same songs over and over again because the kids are interested and they can't read. So if they have the song memorized, well, that's the one we're going to do, you know, so that we can all be together yeah. singing. But that's kind of what our typical worship looks like. Very cool. Thanks. Yeah, that's helpful stuff. Um, yeah, kids are especially hard to, it's hard to help them, uh, especially when they can't read, especially in terms of singing. So that's a good idea to let them sing whatever they want. I'm, I'm assuming Old McDonald's out, or is that is that fair game? Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll assume that's out. <laughs> what was that? Well, I said uh, it's it's helpful to let kids choose the song they want to sing, since especially when they can't read. But I was just wondering if 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 would a song like Old MacDonald be uh, out, or uh, would that be fair game? <laughs> you know, we we uh, it's it's funny you say that because. Ezra has repeatedly asked in the past to sing Jingle Bells. And, uh, I mean, that's fine for a song, whatever. But I guess that's not our intent. So we'll try to explain to him, well, we can sing that one later. But right now we're going to sing something else. We're singing a praise to God is usually how I explain it. So and Jingle Bells isn't about God. So (laughs) So how about you, Ferris? Do you have any tips, especially in terms of, I mean... uh, You just have, mm-hmm. you've got Ruth and she's very young right now, but what about you and Danette as far as helping yeah. each other? Right. It's, um, you know, the, uh, it's a lot different um, being just a couple together uh, versus uh, a family. Uh, but I would say that um, there, there are a lot of, there is quite a bit of overlap Um you know, I think, uh, you know, John mentioned going into the uh, living room to sit on the, the couch or something like that. Um, and, you know, it just seems like for us, uh, changing locations seems to signal uh, we are intentionally changing gears here. Um, you know, sometimes uh, circumstances are to where we need to just be at the table um, to get, you know, going with our day. Um you know, uh, one of us has to head out the door right away or something. Um, but, uh, you know, making sure that we don't go too long, um, so that we can care, we can just function more consistently in family worship rather than deciding that we need to do this thing for 45 minutes or an hour, um, to just be able to consistently, spend 15 minutes a day considering God's word and praying and singing. Um, you know, that, that's just very, very life giving and very, very helpful. Um, you know, you, you can always, uh, talk to one another about these things later. If, uh, if something, um, you know, you, you think about, uh, something that you read in the, in the text. Um, and I think, uh, what I, what I have, uh, to do just as a husband leading my wife is ask her what 
questions she could ask the text. Like, and um, just looking for how many who, what, when, where, why, how questions uh, she could she could uh, give to the text, and then we we try to explore what those are. Um, you know, and that, that's not always the case every day. Um, but uh, I think uh, asking those who, what, when, where, why, hows versus yes and no questions seems to open things up quite a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. One thing really refreshing that I've seen just observing uh, John and Patience uh, family worship is their son Ezra. He usually asks a question when, uh, you know, at least one question. Very inquisitive child, and uh, and that's just been great to see. Um, I don't know if that's every family's uh, case. <laughs> well, I can't say it's necessarily mine. <laughs> cool. It's it's probably more often than that that he doesn't, if I'm honest. Usually I'm asking him the questions, but sometimes he does ask. It's usually um if if it's usually as if there's an interesting plot twist happening, he'll be interested. Like we went over um John the Baptist's beheading and he had all sorts of questions on that one. But maybe that raises up the question of we don't we usually don't skip texts. We usually just go straight through and uh the kids are gonna be interested certainly in those exciting stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, to that end, you know, what? what's great about the book that God gave us is not every book is at the same reading level. Um, it's not all, uh, you know, some of Paul's writings, even, even another apostle could say, some of these things are hard to understand. Um, you know, and so there's you don't have to take on Romans as a family of toddlers, but you could read the Gospels and you can read the narrative portions, uh, Genesis and Exodus, and uh, that you know those things just fill their minds with stories um, that are true. They're true. Um, God working in the midst of His people and uh, can help build categories within uh, these children. So that um, you know, as they grow, you know the Bible is still there for them, and and we can then get into uh, epistles and the prophets and poetry, and just be able to to give them more and more food as they grow up. Um, and so, you know, I I think that would be a recommendation for. Uh, for from me, if, if if a person has never done family worship before, uh, don't take on an epistle. Uh, take on something that is going to be more um, more easy to follow in terms of just a, a story that's being told. Uh, you know, Genesis or or uh, the Book of Luke. I think are great places to start as a family. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would encourage yeah, that yeah, too. I, mm-hmm. I think, I think sometimes we, we're pressured as parents to think of instruction as um, imperative, you know, direct statements: do this, do don't do that. And so we might be tempted to go to places in the scripture with our kids that are really kind of blunt in that regard. But um, think about the influences on culture as a whole, and one of the powerful ones right now. It's you know, YouTube, um, whatever's the next bestseller or best 
big, big hit at the box office, you know, what movie is out there. And so it's, it's really important not to devalue um, narrative, um, the power of narrative and providing instruction because uh, our kids, especially when they're young, they're looking for identity within their home and within their person. And so those stories, they, they're going to be re- relating to the characters in them. Uh, they're going to be considering like, what, well, what's going on? Why is this happening? And they're going to be wanting to flesh out their sense of justice, um, their moral understanding of what's good and what's wrong, what's worth fighting for um, through narrative. And, and and there's so much instructional value that we um, uh, maybe maybe take for granted sometimes within the within narrative stories of the Bible. And if we, I mean, it would be interesting to look at a percentage basis of the, the Bible as a whole. Most of it certainly is narrative. You know, almost the whole Old Testament's narrative, um, and a large portion of the New Testament. Probably the majority of the New Testament's narrative too, regarding the four Gospels and Acts, um, and the other portions in the epistles that give some narrative as well. And so, it's maybe don't don't under um, don't devalue narrative with our kids. They they really attach to story. So that's something we've certainly seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, John, you also mentioned uh, uh, something that. I feel very strongly about too. Um, you know, I, I haven't, uh, you know, as far as having any older kids, uh, the only experience Danette and I really have, um, is, uh, we spent probably 10 weeks collectively one year, uh, taking care of a boy from Ukraine who hardly spoke any English. And we decided that we wanted to have morning and evening worship, um, together with him while he was here. Um, and so we chose the book of Genesis and um, the book of Luke. And we would just read a segment from each uh, Genesis in the morning, Luke in the evening. And, uh, you know, uh, there are certain places in in the Bible that uh, a parent might think, oh, maybe I should skip this portion. Um you know, kind of like with the same mindset with which we rightly uh, edit, um, you know, what are we, you know, keep our kids from seeing certain things on TV. But um, I think the Bible does a pretty good job of stating things in such a way that um, it's self-limiting. Like, um, you know, the Bible can, can often euphemistically describe certain things like uh, sexual things or, or, or the like um, with words like uh, he, he knew his wife or, or he lay. And, um, and, you know, furthermore, um, you, you know, a child, you know, they start asking uh, questions. Um, you have the opportunity to teach them about, things through the scriptures instead of them learning about them from their friends uh, or on the school bus or from the media. And uh, I think even though, you know, and um, I think if you are in the word daily with them, when you come across certain texts, um, you know, that can create opportunities to, to address these things early. Um, You know, just I realize I've been talking for a little while, but uh, when we took care of Andre, as I said, from Ukraine, um, I was at work and Danette just 
you know, thought, well, we're at the probably one of the strangest passages in the book of Genesis, and it was uh, with Lot and his daughters. Um, and so Danette read the whole chapter, explained ahead of time, this is a very um, gross uh, chapter in the Bible. Um, but they read it together, and um, and he was, you know, he was, uh, what it did for him, actually, as soon as I got home, he wanted to show, he wanted to read the passage with me. You know, he, he had his, uh, we had this Bible that was English on one side, Ukrainian on the other. And what he, in hand motions and, and different things, facial expressions signaled to me, and that was because how he could communicate, was that it seemed like for him the first time he understood the difference between um, husband and wife love and parent and child love. And, and that was actually, you know, in kind of his, um, uh, you know, not the best upbringing, um, you know, institutional life, you know, hadn't really figured out. And, and so, you know, it was amazing what doors God had opened for him at that, you know, if, had we skipped that story, uh, he, he wouldn't have had that breakthrough to understand, you know, this is the way God made these things to be. And there are certain lines that shouldn't be crossed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, yeah, the Bible does bring up naturally, if you're reading through it, opportunities to discuss all sorts of issues that might not naturally be brought up if you're too embarrassed to talk about them or something. Mm-hmm. Kids are never embarrassed. Well, some are. Some are. But the younger they are, the less embarrassed they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, I know, John, do you have to, how much longer do you have, by the way, before uh, you need I'd to be probably, off? I'd probably have another half hour or so, and then I have to be out to the church to record worship for our Sunday okay. and uh, Good Friday services. Okay. So, I think we'll go through this um, pretty quickly, if we can, and just kind of wrap it up it's pretty quickly here. Um, but something's... Uh, so our family, when we're when we're doing family worship, we we do we we try to sing, um, just try to sing together. One thing, one hint is you could just practice one hymn, and for those who can't read, the kids that cannot read, or really adults who can't read, whatever, uh, we just practice the first verse over and over and over, and eventually they learn to sing the first verse. Um, but do you guys have any hints for people who can't sing or? Don't know the tunes to the songs? Any helpful resources out there or ideas for that? Uh, if you have a hymnal but nobody plays piano or guitar, or you've never, never, you don't, you're just not familiar with the tune, do um, we just forget it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's this thing called YouTube that has pretty much every song on it in case uh, <laughs> you've ever wondered how a hymn or a song goes. Um, you know, I think you said, you explained it well, Josh, just find something that you guys can figure out, practice it and learn it together. Um, pay attention to what songs the kids attach to at church on Sundays um, and maybe do those ones. That's something that we've done before. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think you could you could uh, maybe have your family pick something that they sang. You know, one of the one of the hymns that they sang on a particular Sunday, and then the rest of that week you could just practice that hymn together. Um, you know, it, you have to have your own hymn book at home, or you could, you know, as John said, look it up online and have the words there. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, that doesn't mean we actually sing every night or that we're good at singing. It's just that's our ideal. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in terms of going through narratives, one thing I've been attempting to do is we, we're kind of trying to work our way through Matthew. So I've been trying to relate biblical theology to the narrative sections of Scripture, so kind of showing how Jesus is the true Israel through that. Uh, it's really interesting as we read to consider how the passage connects to the rest of scripture. So um, a helpful resource for that is biblical theology by Voss. That's one I always recommend, recommend, but there are a lot of helpful resources out there just to help you um, think about the Bible more holistically because God wrote the Bible. He didn't write it in, in an atomistic way, it's 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 one composition by many authors. So humanly speaking, God used human authors who wrote, but He inspired the whole thing. So it is a uh, that's one thing I've been really trying to do is it, it is a no matter where you're at in the Bible, it relates to itself and it's consistent with itself and it tells an overarching story of redemption. So that'd be one little. Hint I throw it out throughout there is just pay attention to how this section of scripture connects to the overarching um, yeah. story, or yeah, let's just call it story. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, I think getting help from your pastor too. Um, ah. you know, just I, I, you know, personally, as someone who filled the pulpit. Um, nothing gives me greater joy than hearing that someone has has started to to engage embark on this journey of of worshiping God together as a family, um, and and to hear that is just wonderful. For, and so you know to be able to share that with your pastor, and then to take these passages before him you know, or take them to him and say, you know, we were really confused about this one. What do you, what do you think about that? Um, mm-hmm. You know, this book that we were given is a book for a community and we can utilize uh, the officers that God has put in place. Yeah. That's a great, and we should, man, that seems like an obvious thing to do, but I don't, I doubt we do that as often as we should. <laughs> yeah. Right. By the way, I was going to mention, if you don't know tunes, hymnary.org is a good website to refer to for tunes, just an aside that I forgot to add. Um, I'll try to put that in the show notes, too. Um, so was there anything else we'd like to cover in this regard? I mean, what? But speaking of singing again, I, I just wanted to mention something. Uh you don't have to be able to carry a tune in order to sing. And you can even, I mean, there are people who just can't sing. So 
But just look forward to that time when uh, the curse will be removed, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we were all we'll, we'll all be gathered around the throne singing. And I imagine it's going to be beautiful because God mm-hmm. God created beautiful singing. So um, even as you sing here on earth with a voice that's less than ideal, and maybe you can't even carry a tune, just do so looking forward to uh, singing through eternity with with imperfection. So that that should be great. Mm-hmm. So be encouraged by that. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything else you guys would like to add? Yeah, there's there's one other thing I thought might be worth worth mentioning. Um, you have on there how do you not get frustrated on the list. Ah, yeah. What comes to mind um I mean maybe I'll use an, a specific example to kind of demonstrate what I'm thinking through here. So for example, you you just had a rough day with the kids or with your wife. Um, there was arguments or some some sharp words said. Let's say during supper or just before supper, when you got home, you're frustrated, you had a bad day at work. Um, it comes time to do family worship, and you just don't want to because you're mad. Um, what do you do? And here would be my word of encouragement to you. Um, and this is hard to do, and it's also very. Um, vulnerable, but I would begin by saying, I'm sorry and pray and ask God for forgiveness in front of your children or in front of your wife and still do family worship together. And and think about that regarding your current circumstances or whatever might be hard going on in the home, because none of our homes are, are perfect and we all, we all have bumps um, that come along the way and sin that tries to disrupt and to kill and destroy. Um, but when we pray and when we demonstrate the um, integrity and the um, uh, just the, the sincerity of our faith in front of our wife and our children, I, I can't think of a better way to actually teach our faith than to, to demonstrate seeking forgiveness in front of them, uh, things about things that we may have done to them. And so um, it's easy to get mad and not want to do it if things haven't gone well. Or let's say you're in the middle of, of family worship and the kids are just driving you nuts and they're running around and you can't get them to sit still. Uh, what do you do? You know, I would I would just say the same sort of thing. Like try to try to bring things back together if you can. But sometimes it's you know maybe maybe the best way to end is is asking God for forgiveness um, and uh, and trying again later. You know, in a few minutes. Uh, but trying to flesh out the practical, uh, the practical reality of sin during your worship is really important, I guess, to me and to my family. We we really try to make a practice of that and of confession when it's necessary um, in our family worship or at the beginning of it or during it with each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's that's just the reality of life. I mean, I hope people when they hear this podcast or when they've they've heard me speaking about family worship in the past, they don't get this this picture of you know all my kids sitting nicely in a row, um, watching <laughs> me do it. Because I mean, sometimes it kind of happens that way, but usually it's a bit of a, a bit of a rodeo, and uh, and uh, that's just. That's fun. Make it fun. Go with it. Don't get frustrated if you can. Try not to be frustrated with yeah. your children, as Ephesians you talks know, that, about. That kind of links Tenderness into something I wanted. Well, it links what you're saying fits really well with something I I wanted to bring up, and I I forgot to. Is that family worship 
doesn't have to be done perfectly. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in other words, here's a question. What if, what if we worship out of hearts that are not worshiping? What if, what if we go through the actions of worship, but we're hypocrites during worship? Should we therefore not do it? No. Um, I like, I like what John, I mean, I, I think of, uh, um, I mean, we, it's, it is good if we can be fully engaged in a worship, but, um, the one God is, God is worthy of being praised and, and, and really, um, the act of submitting to, to worship him, we ought to think of as transformational, uh, and, and like John, John said, you know, when you sit down and it's time for family worship, if there is something that is really bugging your conscience, you, you can't, like, just go into worship. You're, you know, you're either holding a grudge or you realize that there's something God's convicting you of and it changes you. And you have to deal with those things before you can go into family worship. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, people live in a strange way where we think that if we don't feel like doing something, um, then, you know, it's just not, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is, but we think we shouldn't do it. Um, But uh, if it's an issue of needing to confess sin, we need to confess that. Um, If it's an issue of just having poor priorities, and we need to confess that too. You know, maybe maybe confess our sinful lack of a desire to worship God before we go into worship Him. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so be encouraged that this, uh, all worship, it should be God-centered, in other words, I think is what we might get around to. Is It's not about what we feel or how well we do during worship. It's about God being worshipped by his by his creatures. And I think, yeah, the life changingness of it is that's super helpful um to point out that even when you don't feel like it, there's a reason why you don't feel like it. And if you make this a pattern it 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 just brings brings that to the light, that sin to the light and helps you to ask for forgiveness, to examine it, uh, examine yourself, but also it brings you back to the realization that we are sinners and the reason why we can worship God with thankfulness and uh, is that we're, we're redeemed by a, by a Savior who, who bore the curse of our inability to worship rightly because of our sinfulness upon a cross and rose again and helps us to worship by his spirit and and intercedes for us as we come before the throne of grace. In fact, mm-hmm. the Old Testament Israelites had to stay outside this holy of holies where there was a thick curtain that hid the dwelling place of God where only one once a year one person could go in there and sprinkle blood on the altar, not looking up, not daring to look up, where the presence of God was resting over the Ark of the Covenant and now where are we where do we come to when we worship as the author to the Hebrews says we come we go 
into that Holy of Holies and we're at the throne. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. astounding. Yeah. And just the act of doing that, um, you know, really exposes our hearts. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't think it can really be said enough. Uh, you know, I, I have had occasions where, you know, Danette and I, we used to have, we've been having family worship more in the afternoons or evenings now, but it used to be in the morning. And um, just had the experience of recognizing that, boy, the time for family worship is coming. And I just don't feel right in my heart about something I, I did or or something I said to Danette and then just having come to a place of apologizing to her because I knew my worship wouldn't be acceptable before God unless I confessed that. And, um, you know, like Jesus says, if you, uh, if you um, are going to lay your gift before the altar and you there, you know, think that somebody has something against you, go and be reconciled to your brother before you go before the altar, you know, and I think, yeah. I think that's what worship does is it, it just exposes our hearts that, um, you know, there's sin in our lives that needs to be confessed, needs to be taken care of. And, and then after that, you know, the experience of, of worshiping God is just that much more full of joy because, you know, I'm this sinful person and I just sinned against my wife, and, and I had to uh, confess it to her. And now God is more than willing to accept my worship. And, and just what a, a wonderful thing. But, you know, getting over that hurdle is hard. And, and I honestly think that's why a lot of people don't uh, participate in family worship or private devotions, is because they don't like uh, standing before that altar knowing somebody has something against me or God has something against me that I need to deal with before him. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, is there anything else to add, John, to that? Or I was going to go into just uh, maybe if you guys had any resources. I know. Uh, Did you have anything to add, John, before we go to that? No, I don't think so. Um, maybe a few resources, but ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ferris, Ferris had mentioned Joel Beakey. Um, yeah. And I, I would second that opinion. Um, Third. So is there, is there a particular book on that, Ferris? You know, um, there is online. Um, but I, uh, I mostly just watched his videos. Um, Okay. And, uh, and I think the, the benefit of that, he does give some helpful how-tos, but um, I think he's just created, uh, you know, he's really presented what the value of worship is and to just be able to hear, you know, him being a, um, at least a second-generation Christian whose father really laid a, a solid foundation of someone who was... Um, who bared his heart before his children and before his God in worship and uh, just gave all of his children such such a vision for 
wow, this someone, this person, my father really loves his God, and uh, that just stuck with them forever. Um, and and so just to see somebody who could really encourage you into what what could family worship be, um, I think he's very helpful for that. Um, also, just uh, um, you know, one thing I, I mentioned, or you know, we didn't mention this earlier, but uh, you know, perhaps if a person wants to uh, do something special on a Sunday, or you know, have one, you know, one time during the day you're reading the Bible and then another time of the day maybe pick uh, the Westminster Catechism or another book. Uh, One book that I'm reading to my family is uh, John G. Patton, Missionary to the New Hebrides. And um, it's uh, an autobiography written by uh, John G. Patton. And um, anyway, it's just... uh, quite a wonderful testament of somebody who really was following hard after the Lord and, um, you know, wanted to, to, uh, see people come to Christ who, who, you know, had never heard the gospel before. And and I think, um, just being able to do something special like that on occasion, um, is just really a great thing to take part in as a family. Yeah. How about you, John? Yeah, those are some great resources. I, I've read Patton's autobiography. It's it's just a wonderful read for everybody. Um, I highly recommend it. I maybe you put it on the top ten recommended books list for me personally. Um, we use the New City Catechism, which is kind of a modernized um, conglomeration of some of the historic catechisms. We use those with the kids because they have songs attached to them that are really easy for kids to learn. Uh, the, the kids really enjoy doing those. And then maybe another resource um, that can be helpful, especially with really little kids, is a storybook Bible. And usually I, I don't really like the way we, we call it a storybook Bible. Maybe a, a story, a Bible illustration. I don't know. Call it what you want. It's not a, really a Bible. But that has been helpful with our kids and teaching them the stories. There's pictures. Um it gets them on board, but um, it's. I think it's important to to uh, help them understand the difference between the two as well. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, your video series, John. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to toot your own horn, though. No, don't don't toot it too loud. At least there's a. I'll send you another resource, Josh, that you can you can link. There's a a pretty great collection that a I believe it was a church in Florida does. Uh, just like a publication, it's free, and it has a lot of the his. Well, let's see, probably some of the Puritans. It has some of uh, some more modern works as well as some of Patton's. Um, just some excerpts from some of his books. This is kind of a a summary of some of the historic uh, precedent that's set before us to do family worship. That's I've I've found very encouraging to read and encourage me to do it um, more sincerely and prayerfully and worshipfully with my family. Yeah. Yeah, send it over. That'd be great. I'll try to put links to all these things into the show notes. I always say try because who knows if I'll remember, but I'll I'll try. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would, I think those are great places to start. I'm not going to add anything to those things. I I definitely think looking at a children's catechism, if you have children or just a regular old catechism, if you're 
you're able to understand the language of the catechism, that's a great idea. Looking at, yeah, reading some books like an autobiography of John Patton. Uh, I've been, Ferris recommended that to me when he talked to me earlier, and my wife has read that, I believe. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. But also reading books like that with the family kind of helps to, um, like on a Sunday or something, just gives you something special to do on a spe- at a special time on a special day. Uh, I, I think that's something we enjoy doing. Um, uh, yeah, for resources, though, yeah, I would I would not add anything. I don't want to make it too cluttered in there. And um, there there's a <clears throat> Beaky's little pamphlet on family worship is is the one I was going to recommend. So, uh, but if Ferris says watch the videos, I mean that's going to be good too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. Uh, we mentioned the Trinity hymnal for songs, for prayer. I, I mean, it's always good to use the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. I know Martin Luther had a guide on that. I believe it was Martin Luther. I'll have to look that up. Um, just a little booklet on on the Lord's Prayer and how to um, pray the Lord's Prayer without praying the exact words of the Lord's Prayer. I'll look that up. If I'm correct, it'll be in the show notes. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to erase this. Um, well thanks guys for joining me this was it was fun to talk to you guys even though it was a little bit more formal than just a casual discussion but I had a I had a good time Um, you guys have anything else to add no I think that's good thank you Josh okay yeah look forward to maybe having more discussions like this at a later point in time um, maybe then you could do some prayers. Sorry, what was that last part? Um, maybe at a later point in time we could discuss prayer. Prayer? Actually, uh, oh, that would be good. Yeah. Yes. It's actually something that my wife and I have been studying from the catechism. Oh, okay. That would be fun. I would benefit That's from it idea. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always... I always I always hope to record more than I end up recording. <laughs> but if we put it on the calendar, we'll put it on the calendar and we'll see what happens. How about that? <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, with that being said, I, John and Ferris, thanks for joining me. And by the way, don't hang up after I say goodbye, but uh, I'm going to conclude this podcast by saying thanks for listening. And please let us know, like I said, if you have any questions or comments or ideas for a podcast send us an email we're on the Facebook too I believe but an email at podcast at practically theologians.org is is a way that I will see the message for sure and uh, thank you for listening God bless and that's all for now folks